0: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Southern women, unlike women from Boston or Des Moines or Albuquerque, are leashed to history. So wrote editor Alison Glock in a 2011 essay for Garden and Gun. The piece, called Redefining the Southern Belle, got more responses than anything she'd written in her nearly 30-year career. Much was positive, some not, but all opening up further exploration of what Southern woman meant then and now. The discussions that followed led to a new book of portraits and interviews with artists, innovators, and entertainers, from Reese Witherspoon to Oprah, from Dolly Parton to Beyonce, along with a number of names you may not know yet, and odes to women who made the South the South. Amanda Heckard is deputy editor at Garden & Gun, and with us to talk about the new book, Southern Women, more than 100 stories of innovators, artists, and icons from the editors of Garden & Gun. Amanda, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. We've also got two of the featured with us. Atlanta-based designer and activist Unica Rogers sipp is with us in the studio. Hello there. Hello. And also with us Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice. She's joining us by phone. She is president and dean of Morehouse School of Medicine. Dr. Montgomery Rice, hello.
1: Hello. How are you all?
0: Very well. I I'm, I'm not going to answer for everybody. <laughs> <You did. laughs> So with the debut of this book, Southern Women, Holler Beach Productions created a special little film celebrating iconic Southern women. And here's just a little clip of what a few of the artists had to say.
2: Southern women are resilient. Southern women are strong. Southern women are strong. Strong. Strong.
1: Strong.
3: (laughs) Strong. resilient, Strong. Strong. Strong.
1: We aren't the the dainty little um, Southern bells from years past.
0: Southern women are charming, of course, they're strong.
2: Did I say strong? Well,
0: multiple responses is strong. And and Mm -hmm. women are measurably more resilient in the face of adversity than men, I'll Mm -hmm. say, according to a 2018 study by Science Daily. So, Amanda, what did you see? Strength. That came up over and over again in this film. Did this change that image of the Southern Belle that Alison Glock was trying to struggle with in the first place?
2: I think that this whole book was um, an opportunity for us to sort of dispel, I think for, you know, for a long time anyway, that larger consciousness um, thought of Southern women being synonymous with that sort of Moonlight and Magnolias myth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people in the South knew that wasn't, you know, uh, didn't get close to describing the, um, the women who, who live here. And, you know, I think that um, all of these stories do that. Uh, certainly, that's why I wanted to include both Unica and um, Dr. Montgomery Rice in this book, because their stories um, inspired me. I think that, you know, we're talking about being open to listening to other people's life experiences, and I really hope that that's what this book does, is is inspires, um, inspires people, makes them think uh, differently about how women have experienced the South and um, you know I think that it's been really interesting to you know also a thread through the book we asked a lot of the women you know what does being a southern woman mean to you and the range of, of answers and how you know the almost surprising thing was was how even people who sort of struggled with their relationship to the South still wanted to use that word to define themselves, but we're thinking about how can we redefine exactly what it means to be a Southern woman. Um, I think about there was a Uh, musician um, in Austin that we interviewed Gina Chavez and she talked about how you know the the South is so open in a lot of ways there's open land there's open skies open roads you know why can't it also mean open-minded and she Mm -hmm. talked about how she you know sort of um, has gone through her own process of moving past those stereotypes of southern women to really you know wanting to reclaim the word southern well, that's what, one thing that comes very clear to me.
0: There's no monolithic Southern woman. There are so many different Southern women. And two of the guests that we have here with us today, both featured in the Innovators and Iconoclasts section. So first, I want to ask both of you, what comes to mind when you think Southern woman? Dr. Montgomery Rice?
1: So when I think about a Southern woman, I have this uh, mosaic of my mother and my grandmother and my aunt's. And I see them around the kitchen table and laughing, or I see them in the kitchen, and I see them lock arm, and they're walking, and it's almost uh, girlish in nature.
0: Huh. How about for you, Unica?
4: Wow. so I also see when I think of southern women, I think of, gra- you know, grandmothers and mothers and aunties. And for me, the first thing that comes to mind is sort of this juxtaposition. I wrote about it and talked about it in a book between my grandmother and her traditional values, right? And her love for home, the South, like growing up in, you know, rural North Carolina is where I'm from, um, Castle County outside of Greensboro. Um, But her love of that place and um, everything that came with it, like, you know, learning how to make things from scratch like biscuits and, the pride in that. And then I also think about my mother, who um, was of the generation that that re- sort of rebelled against against that and wanted to to leave. Um, and, 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 and she told me the other night, it's like I could have been born anywhere and I would have would have left home. But mm-hmm. <laughs> she was that she was that spirit of, you know, wanting to sort of experience something outside of what that small town could offer her. Um, and was very sort of um, spirited in, in discovery and exploration. Um, and so when I think about uh, Southern women, I think about the complexity that, that exists between those types of realities and a love for home. Um, and then I also think about generationally the relationship between women and where I fit in between those two, that I'm sort of a bridge. Uh-huh. Um, uh, for still all of us, we, we have this love for home. So my mother, even though she would leave and she traveled the
0: world, um, she never gave up home yeah. and her love for it. She say she had a lot of fire that she kind did. of pushed her and eccentric. And Amanda, uh, I'm wondering about that. You know, there is a kind of love of eccentric women in the South. <laughs> what do you think is behind that?
2: You know, we're we're not wallflowers, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that that's something that came across... Um, in a lot of these interviews is that um, Southern women, you know, know, know how to comport themselves, but they also know how to, to break the rules. You know, I think about my own um, you know this this theme of mothers and grandmothers came up time and time again and I think it is because you know that there's definitely a strong family connections in the south that sense of place that both of the these women have have spoken about is is so strongly rooted and I think about you know that sense of place I'm from the upstate of South Carolina and um, you know my, my family has been there for generations farmers textile mill workers and I think about my grandmother who you know rolled tires in a a tire factory, but she always, you know, went home at night and and touched up her hot pink fingernails, and and um, you know, and it wasn't vanity, but it was uh, self respect, and and um, you know, it was an, an interesting theme that sort of carried uh, throughout the book.
0: Amanda Heckert there editor of a new book from Garden and Gun, Southern Women, More Than 100 Stories of Innovators, Artists, and Icons. And two of the women featured are with us, Atlanta-based designer and activist Eunica Rogers-Sipp, along with Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice. She is the dean and president of Morehouse School of Medicine. And we'd love to hear from you as you listen. What Southern women have influenced you, famous or obscure? Let us know in our Facebook group, GPB Radios on Second Thought. In the front of the book... We have Ashley Jones quoting from Lucille Clifton's, I cannot talk about the South without talking about black women. And Dr. Rice, you observed that you were often the only black person or only woman in your career, or even as you were growing up. So how did you begin to discern your identity? Do you see yourself first as a Southerner or an African-American or a woman?
1: You know, I'm often asked that question, and um, I clearly see myself first as a woman, Um, and then I guess I am a black woman uh, and then I would say I'm a southerner but I'm actually all of those all at the same time and one um, doesn't necessarily outweigh the others but all of them are used as a part of my identity when I think about the times that and there have been multiple times that I've been the only one at the table or in the room, or on the board, or on the uh, faculty, etc. I embrace that because I actually have always felt that I belong there. And luckily, my mother's strength uh, permeated through giving me confidence that my voice needed to be heard. Now, some of people would say sometimes it was probably heard too much <laughs> or too loud, um, but I did really feel and continue to feel that I have a perspective that adds to the richness of any solution. And I think when people talk about diversity, that's one thing. That's having a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds, but really the... Uh, significance of diversity is only realized when you embrace inclusion. And inclusion is only optimized when we actually humble ourselves to listen to others and to assume the best until proven otherwise. And I clearly learned that from my mother. And I think that is a Southern way that uh, has allowed me to be welcomed at tables that uh, others might be uncomfortable at. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Unica, I know in your work, you know, working on the South Black Belt region and and founding the Destination Design School, tell us a little bit about that connection. You know, she talked about diversity and inclusion, some very big ideas that opened up there. Tell me what you were thinking when you were hearing that. Oh, there
4: are so many things that came to mind. I mean, I think um, first off is that I agree with her about the fact that we really need um, more perspectives uh, and we need women's perspectives at the table. I don't think it's something that's limited to the South. It's 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 the world. Um, I think we've been making some great strides uh, recently, you know, the past year in terms of um, having um, a large amounts of women running for office um, and women sworn into Congress. But we, we still have a long way to go. And I think you know for me, what I've uh understood about you know my specific journey and the way that women show up in the black belt south and in and, and, and the deep south um, and round leadership um, is that there's this sort of misconception that particularly southern women but but women in general are are not equipped or don't have the competency to to lead in in particular industries and so for a prime example of that was in two thousand and ten when we, when we were working in um, around the Wilcox County in Selma, Alabama, and we were working with farmers, and it was um, really clear that, that we had an opportunity to sort of delve into renewable energy and provide a solution to farmers, women farmers particularly, um, who, who were taking leadership roles to understand how they could uh, more effectively manage their, their natural resources, i.e. their farms, um and develop uh renewable energy systems like solar irrigation and in 2010 that was um unheard of you know and they we would hear things from the leadership of the states they like you know it'll never work and quite clearly it was working because <laughs> we designed the system we installed the system and we ran the system um and it, people were saying it never could be done and they certainly didn't expect an African American woman um who wasn't an engineer, to be able to engineer a system.
0: That is Georgia-based designer and activist Unika Rogers-Sipp. Also with me, President and Dean of Morehouse College of Medicine, Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice. They are among those featured in a new book called Southern Women, More Than 100 Stories of Innovators, Artists, and Icons. I'm also joined by the book's editor, Amanda Heckard, from Garden and Gun. We're going to continue our conversation with these trailblazers after a short break. And in the meantime, listen to Freedom by Ranky Tank. The band's lead singer, Kiana Parler, is also featured in the book. We're back with On Second Thought from GBB. I'm Virginia Prescott. You're listening to the Southern Lady and global music icon, Beyonce run the world the girl power anthem from her fourth studio album well today we're celebrating southern women following the release of garden and gun's new book southern women more than a 100 stories of innovators artisan icons deputy editor amanda heckard is with us along with a couple of women featured in the book the georgia-based designer and activist unika roger sip and president and dean of morehouse college of medicine dr valerie montgomery rice Well, uh, Dr. Montgomery Rice, I wanted to pick up on something that you wrote about. You grew up in Macon, and the interview with you in the book, you recall working with your seventh-grade teacher on your valedictorian speech. She made you repeat the word humble over and over again. Uh, You're you're a valedictorian. You became an engineering student at Georgia Tech, first black woman to be the president of a freestanding medical school. Where does humility fit into a career like this, defined by excellence?
1: Uh, You know, that's part of this Southern nature, Um, Mrs. Betty Davis, my seventh grade teacher, so the highlight at Matilda Hartley was if you were selected to be the uh, valedictorian, and I fortunately was selected, and Mrs. Betty Davis would be the one to really write the speech. And there were two things that she did. First of all, you had to meet with her for a month after school every day. (laughs) She met. it. Wow. (laughs) And she had a ruler in her hand, right? Okay, (laughs) she had a ruler in her hand. And you had to memorize the speech. So she taught me the serenity prayer and then this word humble. And she said, when you say it, you need to say it like you mean it because you never know in life when you're going to need some humility. Mm. Now, as a seventh grader, I had no idea what she was talking about. (laughs) But I definitely came to learn this as I sat at so many tables Mm -hmm. and understood that she wasn't telling me to be a shrinking flower. But what she was telling me is to be receptive to the differences that people bring to the table Mm. and to humble yourself before them so that you could be open enough to receive what they are offering. Mm. And that's part of the grace that I think I saw in my mother and my grandmother and my aunts who are
0: Southern women. Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice, I know we have to let you go. Thank you so much for speaking with us.
1: I have uh, really enjoyed this time, and congratulations to my other colleagues who are there with me.
0: Thank Thank you, you, Dr. Rice. Well, to go back to that, uh, what Allison wrote, leash to history, for better or worse, forever entangled in and infused by a miasma of mercy and cruelty, order and chaos, cornpone and cornball, a potent mix that leaves us wise, morbid, good-humored, God-fearing, outspoken, and immutable. Just saying so much there, but I'm thinking, Amanda, for you, Unica just talked about making great strides on one hand, and you have people like Reese Witherspoon, who saw that there were no more roles for women. So she started her own production company, you know, uh, Oprah, obviously a world unto her own, uh, in terms of power of, of making change. Is that something that came up for you in all the interviews that you did women struggling with how to handle those paradoxes?
2: You know, I, I, f- I don't know if struggling is quite right, rather rather than maybe determined to. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, going back to Dr. Montgomery Rice, that was, I think she has a really inspiring story and has been so groundbreaking and, and barrier shattering in a lot of ways. And one of the things that she said in her interview um, she says it does matter what you do when you sit in the seat if not you then who and I feel like that's it's that sort of can do attitude it's maybe gone you know at this point is pushed past a little bit of that struggle and into determination to create those seats at the table you know you mentioned Reese Witherspoon and and um, her hello sunshine production company um creating roles for for women and um, but she's just one of of the many people who are creating those seats at the table for the next generation. And I I would add to that I think sometimes it's hard for
4: for the world to know about us and um, what's really the other piece that I think is really important is that all along uh, side the work like the uh, sustainable development work and the the rural economies work was also the advocating for other women and that these relationships that women in the deep south, particularly African American women, have with foundations, for example, the women, the people who are funding our work, um had to change, and the and the funding mechanisms and the systems have to change, and so more importantly to me, I think the work is also that work that that the hundreds of um, panels and discussions that we that we sit on and the council that we give to people to help them understand how we are making space. We need to make space for ourselves and also how they need to be in the space with us.
0: I want to talk about a space where we, you, you everybody has mentioned it, yeah. the idea of a space where women have had dominion mm-hmm. <laughs> traditionally mm-hmm. uh, and and definitely have not gotten enough credit for in the yeah. past is in the kitchen. I mean, because <laughs> I think yes. this is, an you know, both you and Dr. Montgomery Rice talked about Seeing your, your mom in the kitchen or your grandmother in the kitchen. This kind of place of, of where women exercised a lot of power and a lot of dominance, certainly. How about for you, Amanda? You can't, you know, all of these chefs and mixologists you feature, the legendary New Orleans chef, dearly departed recently, Leah Dukey Chase. James Beard Award-winning chef Masharma Bailey of Savannah, North Carolina chef Vivian Howard. I mean, Southerners often have these strong connections to food and their personal dishes. How does the story of Southern food fit into your portraits of Southern women?
2: Well, I think it's it's so important. I mean, so many... Of of all of our memories are tied to food in some way. Um, you know, we just uh, had Thanksgiving, and I know at my house I'm responsible for making my grandmother's macaroni and cheese casserole and cornbread <laughs> dressing. And when I'm making those recipes, when I'm looking at her handwritten recipe, she's she's um, she's dead now, but uh, it's almost like communing with. Um, a piece of history, it's almost like praying in a way, um, to, to see her handwriting there and to be able to follow her directions. Um, and so, and so being able to get that, um, those food memories and, and the power of food into this was really important. And you mentioned Leah Chase. Um, I think that, you know, this was one of the last, in depth interviews that she did before she passed away. And, um, it was with her friend and culinary historian, Jessica B. Harris. And, you know, they just talked for the longest time and Leah, um, used her now iconic restaurant Dookie Chase's in New Orleans to empower other people. I mean, during the segregated civil rights era, Dookie Chase's was one of the few public places in New Orleans where activists um, such as the Freedom Riders and Martin Luther King Jr. could meet with people of other races. And, and she opened up her kitchen, um, you know, even though it was sort of dangerous to do so, to create a space a welcoming space for for everyone that really, again, empowered people to make change ultimately, and I think that's the power of of food and um, and women in the kitchen too.
4: I just um, think it's important that we understand people's stories and um, connect it
0: in so many ways. Similarly, with the women on the journey. Unika Roger sipp she's a Georgia-based designer and activist featured in a new book from Garden & Gun. It's called Southern Women, More Than 100 Stories of Innovators, Artists, and Icons. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. And Amanda Heckard, what a job. Uh, she is the editor of the book. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank Thank you, Amanda.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you again, Unika, for for being a part of it. Oh, thank you. And you can find more in the
0: book. I probably didn't mention how beautiful it is. The photographs are absolutely gorgeous. So you can find a link to see some of them at gpbnews.org. And we will leave you with another fabulous Southern woman. This is Dolly Parton with 9 9 to 5. Does this song sound familiar? That is probably because it spent a record 19 weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. And now, Little Nas X's Old Town Road holds the title of the longest running number one single in the chart's history. It's symbolic, in a way, of the year in music, an array of new voices and -and up-and-comers throwing music industry standards out the window. Whether it's Lizzo's love of the flute or Lil Nas X's combo of country and trap music, the new age of music seems to be twisting, bending, and reimagining the boundaries of popular music. Atlanta's own Paste magazine released its 50 Best Albums of 2019 list earlier this month, with plenty of genre-bending and diverse acts reflecting shifts in taste. Josh Jackson is co-founder and editor-in-chief of Pace Magazine. Ellen Johnson is assistant music editor. They're in the studio to hit some of the key choices on their list. Welcome back, Josh. Oh, thank you so much. And Ellen, welcome to the program. Thank
3: you for having me.
0: All right, so we're not going to hit all 50 albums, definitely, but let's cover some of the highlights. The artist who ended Lil Nas X's streak as number one, Billie Eilish. That was with her single, Bad Guy. Let's hear just a little bit of that. So you're
1: a tough guy, like you really rough can't get enough, guy Just always so puff, guy I'm
0: that bad type Make your mama sad type Make your girlfriend mad type Might seduce your dad type Ellen, this song also represents a new first for the Billboard Top 100. At just 17 years old, she is the first artist born in this millennium (laughs) (laughs) to score a number one song on the chart. You put her debut album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? This is at number 34 on the Pace list. She appeals to a lot of Gen Z listeners. What's the draw for them?
3: Uh, she really kind of represents the Gen Z anxiety that a lot of people in that generation feel right now. Her music is very scary and dark, which is a new thing for the pop charts, definitely. It's not like love songs on Ariana Grande's album, it's not the positive, you know, uh, self love on Lizzo's album. It's something a lot darker and kind of brooding under the surface. Um, I think she taps into a lot of the just the kind of angst that Gen Z feels.
0: Josh at number 31 we have indie folk band Bonnie Vere their debut album called For Emma Forever Ago was released more than a decade ago so the 2019 release this is called I, I let's hear a song from that this is Hey Ma sounds like distinctively Bon Iver. I it mean, how- does.
5: I mean, it's very different from what he was doing uh, a dozen years ago with uh, Frema Forever Ago. It's, it's much more experimental. There's much wider range of instrumentation on these albums. But there's still that falsetto that is unmistakably Justin Vernon.
0: Well, let's stay with the kind of indie folk rock vibe. There's Sandy Alex G at number 29. He's a guy who's often compared to the singer-songwriter Elliot Smith. I can certainly hear that. This is from his new album, House of Sugar, the track Southern Sky. We're all swaying here <laughs> <laughs> studio. <laughs> Josh, what stands out for you about this record?
5: Oh, so this is an album that um, got played a lot in the paste office this year. But I, I didn't love this record immediately. And over all the listens that we've given this, it, it just kind of grew and grew on me in such a unique way of, of what Sandy Alex G is doing that not a lot of other mm-hmm. people in music are doing right now. It's quiet pop, I guess I would call it more than anything. It, it, which is kind of sneaky how these melodies just stick in your head. It grows
0: mm-hmm. on you for sure. So, I at number twenty-six. Maggie Rogers. Her album is called "I Heard It in a Past Life." This is the song "Light On." Keep more of a traditional pop voice. In fact, uh, you call Maggie Rogers the exemplary model of a modern pop star. Why?
3: It's really interesting, Maggie Rogers' story. She was a music student at NYU, and back in 2016, she was um, doing a master class with Pharrell. And there's a video that went viral back in 2016 of him hearing one of her songs for the first time, and his face just drops. Like, this is like a star-making moment for her. And since then, she's put out an EP. This was her debut album that came out way earlier this year. And it's just the perfect example of a modern pop star because she was born on the internet, and that's where all her fans kind of came from, and I love this album so much it's just so much fun to dance to
0: so far we're seeing some traditional strongholds on the the best of list the pop indie rock folk is there something new within these genres that we are seeing this year as opposed to music that came before
5: i think you're seeing a lot more blending of genres um i I think a lot of these albums on here are harder to peg in a single genre the ability for artists to kind of toss those constraints aside and just say this is this is who i am."
0: All right, so let's go with another, I think, genre bender in many ways. At number 25, Solange's album, When I Get Home. This is the, you really liked, Ellen, the song Almeida. Let's hear a bit of that. So this follows up a a great critic's pick and and a terrific album, A Seat at the Table, what, 2016, a couple years ago. She was at uh, Afropunk a couple of years ago, and I saw her. Really contemplative music in many ways. Where, Where does this album take us, do you think?
3: So I think this album is a lot more toned down and a lot softer than A Seat at the Table, which, like you said, with this grand concept album with a lot of really striking visuals that kind of arrived with it. And on this album, she takes kind of a step back. But it's still just as visually and I think sonically cohesive. Uh, Solange is a visionary. And I think pretty much any full length effort she puts out is going to get critical attention.
0: So she has Atlanta rappers Gucci Mane and Playboy Cardi also featured on the album. What do they add to her mix?
3: They add a lot of really great energy to these songs. She pulls a lot from like kind of neo soul and jazz and stuff. So when it comes to like the rap verses, bringing folks in like that uh, adds a lot of energy to it. Ellen Johnson there, Josh
0: Jackson also with me. Both of them are with Pace Magazine, sharing some of the selections from Pace top 50 albums of the year. And we are not done yet. Miles to go before we sleep. We're going to hear some more from Pace 2019 year in music after a short break. But right now, listening to another song from their best of lists at number 14, this is Fontaine's DC with the song Sha Sha Sha. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of On Second Thought. We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. It is the end of the year, and that means best of lists getting released left and right. There's so much great content to check out, so we asked a couple of editors at Atlanta's own Paste Magazine to help us narrow down the year in music a little bit, sharing a couple of highlights from their list of 50 best albums of 2019. And you can find a link to look at it yourself at gpbnews.org. There's also a Spotify playlist, so you can listen and get your dose of some new music that you. May not have heard this year. Like the one you're hearing now, this is the song, Eartha, Jamila Woods. It's off her album, Legacy, Legacy, falling at number 30 on their list. It's a great record of songs of all of her heroes, you know, Basquiat, James Baldwin, Frida Kahlo, Giovanni, a wonderful record, but lots and lots of ground to cover. So we're going to jump back into the conversation with Pace Magazine's co-founder and editor-in-chief, Josh Jackson, and assistant music editor, Ellen Johnson. Okay, Josh, Danny Brown's record, You Know What I'm Saying, comes in at number 23, and he just performed at Atlanta's Afropunk Festival in October. Let's hear some of his song, Dirty Laundry.
1: In the dark always come the light. Was nasty to light Here Why try your eye Put your life on the line. hang to dry to keep my hands
0: clean he 's released three critically acclaimed albums before this one. This is Josh, what 's great about Danny Brown 's music?:
5: So uh, Danny Brown has always been funny, um, and that 's kind of a touchstone for for his hip hop, and this is, I think, one of the best hip hop albums of the year. And it's very, very funny. He's got a new sketch comedy show on on Danny's house on Viceland. Have you seen it? I have not seen it yet, but that learning about that did not surprise me at all. <laughs> uh, that just seems like the perfect next step in his career.
0: Ellen, there's kind of a new country group putting their stake in the ground. This is The High Woman, and their self-titled debut album comes in at number 22 on the list for Pace Magazine. This is the song Redesigning Women. Redesigning Women They made a big splash appearing live at Newport with Dolly Parton at the Newport Folk Festival. Who are they, by the way?
3: So the High Women are one of my favorite um, musical events to happen in 2019. They are a country supergroup bringing together four women from kind of four different corners of the country Americana world. You have Maren Morris, who's a huge country pop star. You have Brandi Carlisle, who's an Americana folk singer that we at Pace have loved for a long time. And you have Amanda Shires, who is an Americana and fiddle player. And then you have Natalie Hemby, who's a songwriter who's written for Miranda Lambert and Casey Musgraves and songwriters like that. And they came together and made a country supergroup. They were so tired of women not getting uh, airplay on country radio. They were just sick of all the, the stuff that goes down in Nashville. Um, and they decided to do something about it, and they put out one of the best, not just country albums of the year, but one of the best albums of well, the year. they
0: do also tackle some big issues on the album, especially coming from the perspective of women in country music. And you wrote that even if they're talking about stuff that's not generally uh, in country Country music it's already a country classic why what makes it a classic
3: so it sounds classic in the country sense of the word where it's, you know, slide guitar and fiddle and the typical country elements that you would normally hear on an album like this. But like you said, they're talking about things that people don't talk about in country music. Brandi Carlisle wrote with Jason Isbell, who's Amanda Shire's husband and also a great country singer. They wrote um, a gay country song for this album. And there's also a song about motherhood and there's songs about, you know, doing the laundry and just getting through the day. Stuff like that that you don't hear in mainstream country music at all. All right, Joshua,
0: let's tr- we've got a little turn here to a- another super group at number 18, Phoebe Bridgers, a phenomenal musician in her own right, partnered up with Conor Oberst. A lot of people may know him from his band Bright Eyes. Two of them together became a band called Better Oblivion Community Center. Let's hear their song, Service Road.
5: Say what you mean and say it now. Don't throw fit, quit out. I-
0: Two musicians at really different points in their careers. Oberst having been in the game for a long time. Bridgers getting her start in the last couple years. What worked for you on this record?
5: Well, I think separately, these are two brilliant songwriters. Um, they've both appeared on our list before. Um, uh, Connor Oberst years and years ago. Phoebe Bridgers, I believe, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and together, their voices meld beautifully. But I think more than that their songwriting and, and the the way that they can just cut to the heart of whatever they're writing about. Um and it's it's an emotional album, it's a beautiful album. It is an album that um, I could just listen to over and over again.
0: Freebie Bridges by the way is set to perform at Shaky Knees in twenty twenty so people can see her live. Ellen at number seventeen, Tyler the Creator with his album Igor. Let's hear some of the song I think.
1: Son. I'm your puppy, makes, son.
0: Tyler, the creator, has always been a pretty surprising, innovative player in the hip-hop scene. Where, where does he take us in Igor?
3: So Igor Follows Flower Boy, which came out a few years ago, and was a pretty standard rap album. And Tyler warned us before going into this album, don't expect a rap album. So he wanted his fans to go into this not expecting anything. And I think that was the right way to go into this album because it does not play into any particular hip-hop stereotypes. This album is all over the place, and um, he definitely does have some rap verses on here, but he also has a lot of just like kind of R&B and dance beats and stuff that you wouldn't expect. And um, he has a really interesting, again, kind of like Solange, his visuals that go along with this album are just incredible. So I'd recommend checking those out as well.
0: I'm remembering the visuals for it was for Yonkers. Was that the song? This black and white video? Right. That that looked kind of dark. Notably dark, I would Mm -hmm. say. How has has his sound evolved since then?
3: I think it's definitely evolved. This does not sound like Yonkers at all to me. He still has that kind of intense, aggressive delivery that you would associate with Tyler, the creator. Um, But visually and aesthetically, I think it's a lot lighter than something like Yonkers, which like you said, it had that very morose, dark video.
0: Well, if you don't get a chance to listen to new music, we've got Josh Jackson and Ellen Johnson from Pace Magazine. They do it all the time at Pace. We're talking about their top 50 albums of 2019. All right, Josh, before we get to the final and the top picks, I have to point out every album in the top 10 is by women or women-fronted acts. Has that ever happened before?
5: That has never happened before, I can say pretty confidently. Um, and, you know, this is that was not intentional that we... We have our staff and writers all vote for what's going to be on this list, and then we take those and tally them up. And it just happened, it, you know, we got to that list, and it took me a minute to go, oh, wait a second. This is – that's kind of cool that all 10 were either women solo artists or female-fronted bands. And, yeah, that I think that says a lot in how far we've come since we've been doing this since 2002 – You still look at some genres. You still look at the radio. You still look at several places where there is not nearly enough representation. But when it comes to um, critically acclaimed albums, there's just a lot of stuff happening that's exciting.
0: Yeah. So there's always a difference between the critics and sales or often a difference. But so many women have made their mark this year. One here in Atlanta, coming in at number 10, Atlanta musician Faye Webster. We did speak with her back in September before her set at Music Midtown. Let's hear just a a terrific song from her 2019 album, Atlanta Millionaires Club. This is her song, Room Temperature. Ellen, you describe Phase music as, quote, droopy pedal steel, unhurried funk, and a breezy island air that could sub in for your AC. <laughs> not, a, not a description that could work for other people.
3: Definitely not. So, Faye Webster released her third album this year, Atlanta Millionaires Club. It is, like I said, the third record, and she was making kind of country Americana music before, but this album sounds like nothing else I've heard by her or any other artist this year. And one thing about Faye is she puts the pedal steel on every single one of her songs. She told me that in an interview. She doesn't make music without it, and it does give it that kind of islandy flair. And the album came out at the beginning of summer, so it was one that we just played in the office. Like daily almost, because it's just so relaxed and easy to put on.
0: Yeah, perfect summer record. Ellen, I, I mean, I feel like this next one is mandatory for any 2019 list. Lizzo's album, Because I Love You. And while Juice was a really big hit for her, there's another track that was added to the deluxe version of the album. This is called Truth Hurts. <laughs> So this song was originally released in 2017 but really blew up this year along with the musician herself. Why do you think this was Lizzo's year, 2019?
3: Well, it's been really great. I I think that Lizzo's story is definitely my favorite story in music this year because, like you said, Truth Hurts came out a few years ago. Lizzo's been making music for years now, and people in the critics, critical circles have been paying attention to it. But this year, I think, was the year that we needed Lizzo. We needed that kind of uninhibited, positive energy. And we saw her live show back in Austin um, earlier this year at South by Southwest, and it felt like a star-making moment for her. She, her live shows are so joyous and so incredible. And I think people just really latched on to that energy this year.
5: I think we left that show saying that uh, she's going to play a Super Bowl someday. <laughs>
3: exactly. Okay. She's like the next Beyonce. Like, I don't think that's uh, an understatement.
0: Well, there seems to be a lot of news about her just about every other week. You know, she was embroiled in this songwriting uh, credit thing. And and on Twitter, the recent drama about her dancing with her, um, let's say, her, rear, her bottom half <laughs> in full view at a Lakers game. Is this the kind of new icon, you know, classically trained, plays the flute, but bears her butt at a uh, at a Lakers game.
3: Absolutely. She loves her body and she's not afraid to show it. And like you said she is a classically trained musician but she's not afraid to have fun too.
0: She was also just named Times Entertainer of the Year by the way so we're likely to see and hear a lot more from her in the years to come. Maybe we'll take bets on which Super Bowl it will be <laughs> with the paste folks. <laughs> Josh, while there are some straightforward pop stars and tunes in your top 50, the list is dominated more by the kind of unique, even quirky characters. Do you think eccentric music is kind of reigning supreme in 2019?
5: I mean, I would, yeah, definitely, I think it is. I, when you look at some of these, even the pop artists that are on our list, they are twisting things and um, presenting pop music in a way that we haven't seen before. They're, you know... W- we talked about some of the artists on our, our list being pop in the vein of Bjork. You know, like, mm-hmm. like Bjork in 2019 doesn't feel like this
0: out there, out straight, there thing. Yeah. It's just
5: what pop music can be now. And, and I, you know, I think that's a credit to her. But to a lot of the artists that have, have followed in her footsteps, looking at, at what you can do with just, you know, a melody and, and some production.
0: Well, we're going to run out of time quickly, so uh, we're going to skip ahead. The top ten does include albums from Julia Jacklin, FKA Twigs, Angel Olsen, and more. But at the number one spot, you have Wise Blood's album *Titanic Rising*. Let's hear just a track off of that one. This is Andromeda. If you think you can say- This is the work of musician Natalie Maring, who goes by the name of Wise Blood, like the Flannery O'Connor novel, by the way, we should note for our Georgia readers and audience. She's got just this impeccable, haunting sound in her melodies, but also has this kind of California soft rock vibe to it. I've seen this on a number of best of
5: lists. Who wants to pick this up? What makes this great? Well, I'll start, Ellen. You can finish... But this is an album that I think could have been made in any decade from 1960 to this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it is—it's timeless in a very unique way, and um, it's also so lush. So it's—it is kind of soft rock, but you have these swelling moments on it. So it, it feels—it feels like epic soft rock, which I didn't even know could be a thing. <laughs> I, this, album, this album came, and it was all we could listened to for for the moment when it when it arrived, it, it, it um, was just so striking in what she had accomplished. And uh, it was not a surprise to me that by the end of the year that this is what was topping so many of our critics lists
3: yeah this this album stayed in rotation all year long and you mentioned kind of the California soft rock thing and I think that's interesting because there's been a huge reemergence of kind of that Laurel Canyon soft rock sound this mm-hmm. year we've heard it in artists like Jenny Lewis and Molly Tuttle um, and especially Wise Blood. and I don't think any artist pulls it off better than her um, and like Josh said the swelling lush moments on this album feel so grandiose they feel so much like an event that from the moment we heard this album way back in the beginning Beginning of the year, we all knew it was going to be something special.
0: So, who gets to pick what music is played at the paste offices?
5: Oh, it's a free for all. <laughs> whoever whoever puts something on, uh, you know, you can get you can get overruled. And and but uh, no, it's um, everybody's sort of rotating on albums that they have been listening to, albums that they've been loving, and and are constantly playing new stuff that I'm introduced to. So I I appreciate that.
0: So given the trends that we saw in 2019, as you said, people breaking boundaries, you know, kind of going out of their lanes in the traditional music world, what do you think we'll hear more or less of in 2020? Any predictions?
3: I think we're going to hear more pop music in the vein of Billie Eilish. I think that that is kind of setting the trend for uh, that kind of pop music, the kind of the dark, angsty stuff. I think we're going to hear a lot more of those kind of moods represented on the charts as opposed to maybe more bubblegum pop like Carly Rae Jepsen or something like that.
0: So what are you all looking forward to for upcoming releases in 2020 and any Georgia bands, for example, that you're looking forward to hearing more from?
5: I hope for another Georgia brand to surprise me like uh, Faye Webster did this year, and and Faye, somebody that we had, I first saw her playing in Eddie Attic Open Mic Night um, years ago. So when she was like fourteen. Yeah, I know, and so um, we're we're constantly keeping our eye on on local bands too. So I'm I'm looking forward to to getting surprised that way.
0: Josh Jackson, he's co-founder and editor in chief of Pace Magazine. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Ellen Johnson, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Ellen is Pace assistant music editor. And tell us, what were your favorite tunes from 2019? You can join the conversation on our Facebook group, GPB Radios on Second Thought. Reach out to us on Twitter at OST Talk or leave us a message, 404-500-9457. Extra points for singing. That is it for our show for today. We're going to leave you with a song from number two on Paste List. This is Angel Olson with the title track from her latest album. It's called All Mirrors. And again, you can find a full list of Paste Magazines 2019. They write about all of these records. There are samples that you can listen to, and there's a Spotify playlist. There's a link to that at gpbnews.org. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, LaRaven Taylor, Priya Mahadevan, and Jake Troyer. Our engineer today is Alex Wirt. Our interns are Alexis Thomason and Jessica Lowell. Mary Lynn Ryan is executive producer. Thanks for listening to On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott.